Hi everyone, my name is Dr. Coleman Nocter and I'm a child psychotherapist. Many of you may have heard me speaking on the radio in recent years, but I must come clean and say that I'm very new to the world of podcasting. When appearing on radio, all you do is turn up and talk and there are people there to do all the technical stuff. However, I found out over the last few months, this is a lot more complicated than I thought. The times that we live in at the moment dictated that we record all the interviews remotely, and so at times there are some small issues with the quality of the audio, which was outside of our control. But rest assured that the quality of the content from all the guests in the series was top class, and therefore well worth a listen. Over the next 16 weeks, we'll be releasing an episode a week, which will comprise of me chatting with a number of well-known Irish figures who you'll all know about their parenting challenges. These episodes will alternate between the celebrity interviews and a series of listeners' question episodes, which will allow me to respond to the questions that come in from you. So if you want to send a question for me to answer, you can email askingforaparent at gmail.com or direct message me on Twitter at askingforaparent or through the Asking for a Parent Facebook page. If you want to subscribe to the podcast, please do so and you'll get all the updates from the latest episodes. Anyway, it gives me great pleasure to introduce my guest this morning. I had the pleasure of meeting this lady recently when we were doing an event and I'm so delighted uh, I did because it gave me an opportunity to approach her to ask her to be part of the Asking for a Parent series, which she kindly agreed to. When you hear her speak, you'll recognize her straight away because she's one of the top broadcasters we have in the country right now. It gives me great pleasure to introduce to you Ireland AM's Karen Costner. Good morning, Karen. How are you? I'm fantastic. How are you? Thanks for having I'm me all, on. You're very welcome. And thanks a million for coming. How are you coping with this <sighs> obstacle course that is 2020? The Corona Coaster. Good once the schools stay open. Like once my kids are okay, come and like I'm sure so many people listening today, I'm okay, you know. I'm trying to stay as calm as possible so that they don't pick up on anything. I definitely feel like I'm getting more questions about when is the coronavirus gonna be gone and will it be gone by my birthday? Will I be able to have a party? So that stuff is getting a little bit trickier to navigate. But to be honest, once I can keep them in the good routine of school, crash. I feel like I can kind of cope quite well and that it doesn't throw off myself and my husband's work schedule, which was just such a stress point before, you know. So we're okay. Day by day, if I start trying to think too far ahead, I get a bit overwhelmed. So I do try and take it week by week, day by day. And has it gotten easier since the lockdown has lifted for you? Well, not lifted, but in terms of the, the school returns and all that sort of stuff. You yeah, what, was the, what was it like before? I'm going to sound spoiled if I say it was horrible because I know so many other people had a tougher time. But like as much as I did try and enjoy it, I found it so challenging. Being perfectly honest, there was days like I was still working. John was still working in media where or communications were still uh, considered essential services. So although the shows were cut back, we were still on air eight to ten. So it's still six o'clock hit the ground running, you're out the door, you're trying to have your game face on. And in work, we kind of saw our role as trying to be cheerleaders and yeah, get information across, but also try and be like, don't worry guys, we're still turning up almost like we're the cabin crew. And if we don't look worried, the plane's not going down. You know, it was kind of like, that was kind of our MO. So, but to be honest, like John was trying to work in the house and sure our kids are five, four and two, they were going feral. Those guys need to be out, they need to be stimulated. There's only so much time you can get out of TV and they just need more. So I just found it was just relentless in the sense of 
you were home, you were handed the toddler and, you know, you're just trying to get them outside. You were trying not to be uh, in the park when the cocooners were using the park. So just trying to navigate all that. Like mostly it was brilliant. And obviously we got the great weather and we were outside as much as we could. But when the playgrounds aren't open and your kid is crying, trying to get into a playground like that, I found like I had the date of when the playgrounds were reopening in my phone. Cause I, that even for me was a game changer. Like we ended up losing Finn one of the days in the park. Cause I was minding the two younger ones. The park was really busy cause they were so packed with people and he couldn't see me and started walking home and we had to call the guards. And like Donnybrook Garden Station said they had seven squad cars on the way. Like we were having these stressful situations. I was like, this wouldn't happen normally. I'd be in a playground where I could watch them. Like I just felt like things were being thrown at us that I was like, this isn't normally what it's like. So in saying that, the upsides were, they became the three amigos. Our daughter came on a ton. She turned two in June. She was around the whole time. So her language came on, you know, they just, they became like just a force to be reckoned with. So we would always like, and John kept saying, these are the best days, Karen, like take it in. And I was, but I still find it super challenging. So I don't want to go back there. Like even in level five, when they keep the schools open, I'm so glad about that, you know, and the school's been brilliant. It all seems super safe and uh, they're keeping us in the loop as much as they can. We have had a couple of cases in Eve's crash, which has been a bit stressful. We've had to get her tested. Thankfully, she's been okay. And the baby that, uh, or the babies that have been infected have recovered really well and haven't infected anyone in the crash. So it's funny when it happened initially, I was driving up to the testing center with tears rolling down my face going, this is just so unfair. I can't believe this is our reality. But sure, then you go through it once and like anything, once you've done it once, it's just not that scary anymore. So now I'm like, okay, if that happens and it happens at school, I know what to expect. This is fine. That was, you know, that was my rehearsal. Now I know what, what to deal with. So it's, yeah, it's, it's just trying to keep a level head and not let the kids see you worry. You know, that's been kind of my aim throughout this whole thing. I think you've hit the nail on the head there because I think we've all kind of oscillated between, you know, the banana bread making, this is the greatest thing that we've ever done. I'm engaging in my mindfulness and getting to know myself. And then that afternoon we're kind of cowered in the fetal position crying, yeah. saying when it'll be, when it'll be back. And, and I think we have all probably oscillated between saying lockdown is the best, lockdown is the worst. But yeah. I'm interested to see how you uh, were keeping an eye on the playground reopening as opposed to the wet pubs. It's how life changes. <laughs> I know, and my sympathies go with the wet pub, but come on, I haven't been in a wet pub in years, so it didn't really affect me. I'm, you know, a day drinker and I drink at home. <laughs> I'm only joking, but like, that, like, we go to bed at 10 o'clock anyway, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So, uh, yeah, no, the playgrounds were the game changer for me, you know, and for the kids. They were so excited to even get back into play. That first day was like so poignant and seeing my kid go down a slide again, you know, it was like, coming out of Armageddon like out of some sort of apocalyptic scene you know here we were again so it's nuts it's just mental I think that was one of my my turning points when I knew I was a parent was uh, when I used to give directions according to pubs so you go down <laughs> to Delaney's you take a left and now I was saying well you go to the play barn and then there's a McDonald's left out of that and it was all all my landmarks were, were not monkeys yeah that's <laughs> that that's me that's my zone so listen, we better get on with the, with the podcast. I mean, the first thing I'd ask, and I ask all the guests, is to introduce us to your family. So who's at home? What are their ages? Uh, and how are they all doing? So Finn is my first boy. He is five. His birthday is New Year's Eve. Uh, so he turned six on the last day of the year. Then coming up straight behind him, I have JJ, 14 months between those guys. Uh, so he is four. 
Finn and senior infants, JJ just started junior infants. And then the baby of the family is Eve and she turned two in June and they are the brood. So yeah. Wow. Beautiful bomb names, squad, by the way. Bomb squad. They make a mess wherever they go. Sorry, what did you say? They're beautiful names. JJ, oh. I love that. Yeah. That's, That's John really James. Cool. Yeah. Mm. They're all very short names. Easy to remember. <laughs> Nothing to be shortened. Um, yeah. And come here, uh, so Dyerville, that, that's, a, that's a lot of young people yeah. in your house. Yeah, so. yeah. the 202 club, you, when you're in it, you really feel like you're in a special club. You're in the trenches. But my siblings are a good bit older than me. There's a 10-year gap between my sister and 13 years between me and my brother. So I never had siblings to play with. And John's one of five, and they were bang, bang, bang. So all his memories of, oh, like, the first time we all had a cigarette or the first time we used to go for pints. And I was like, what? Like, I grew up with adults. You know, I didn't have any of those rites of passages with my siblings. So I um, really wanted to have kids close in age. and We weren't getting any younger. So we were really blessed that we were able to, to get to three. And, um, yeah, we're, like, we're a really happy bunch. They're nuts. They're crazy. But I love them to death. And, and one of the things that's come up in the podcast interview so far is that people oftentimes talk about their own experience of being parented. Um, you know, we've had guests on who were twins and all that sort of stuff, and what growing up was like for them, and maybe how that impacts on the lens or value system that they see their own parenting strategy. Being the youngest by such a gap, how has that impacted for you? Or what's, what's your thoughts on that? Or what was your experience of all that? Here I am really honest to come, and I realize how selfish I am. And how selfless you have to be to be a mom. Like, I was able to just look out for number one for ages. You know, I didn't even really need to kind of share with the sibling. Like, down to that. Like, I am constantly telling my kids, take turns, share this. You get one treat, you get one. Right, let's measure exactly how much of the cake you're getting. That just was not a feat childhood you know so like it was me and mom going into town to go shopping that they were my days out not running around to park uh playing tag or whatever so it's very very different in saying that one of the best compliments my mother ever gave me was you're such a good mother and I didn't really know what you're going to be like and you're probably better than I could have imagined and that like and mum is not an emotional person but that really resonated with me because I think she probably saw me you know try and pursue this career media which is dodgy at the best of times and she saw me working late and getting up early and all these kind of things and probably thought she's not that maternal and I probably didn't ever feel maternal but I knew I wanted to have a family and have one with John so yeah that um that was kind of a a, an awakening I remember you know giving birth in the, the very early days with Finn and the baby crying I was like what does it need and they were like he's hungry and I was like again like I couldn't believe physically how much I had to give to this child and then once I kind of got it like he had every inch of me you know and I was feeding around the clock and and once I got it I got it and you know I I, I did all the things you're supposed to do but yeah that was probably the one thing is like jeez they need you a lot <laughs> but I, I suppose having three under six or something like that would mean that yeah. it clearly didn't turn you off it no it didn't and John is like you know John is a fantastic dad and he's so playful with them and he adores them and like I mean we must say nearly once a day these are the best days like remember these and it's all such a blur and my mantra to myself is Karen I know you're not going to remember a lot of what you did day to day but always know that you try to make every day count it's like that it's actually in one of the books I read to the kids about Muhammad Ali you know don't count the days make every day count and it's it's that like going I know I'm not going to remember but always kind of remember you tried your best like even if you end up screaming at them you will always end the day with a hug and a kiss and an I love you you know so I do try and tell myself that that even on the days I'm losing it you're still human I didn't have a lobotomy the day I gave birth you know I'm still 
selfish Karen who wants to go off shopping and get a manicure, she's still in there bubbling away. So I just have to try and <laughs> thank God for that. I have a little time for myself. You know, it is all about like if I'm not with the kids, I'm at work, and that's kind of basically it, you know. But I think keeping your own identity is difficult, isn't it? In terms of when those three come around, because the time consumption is so much, it is hard to hold on to elements of your pre-motherly or fatherly life. And for me, that was actually where work came in. Actually, that was my identifier completely because I had loved my job so much that I think if I had decided to be a stay-at-home mom, I would have ended up I would have ended up really low. Actually, I don't think it would have suited me. I did end up actually making a, a documentary a few years ago called Mammy Guilt because I did struggle so much with that push and pull and wanting to be around the kids, but also wanting my old self and and work was basically that part of me. So now I think I've got a healthy relationship with both. Work is my me time and I really enjoy it and I wouldn't do it unless it was a job I got great crack out of. And only yesterday I said to my mom, you know, it would life would definitely be easier if I didn't work, but I don't know if it would necessarily be better. Like my kids are doing great even though they not even though, but like I used to always say crash was, you know, in some way going to have a negative impact on my kids and it absolutely has not like I can see that now that they're in the school environment so yeah so although it's really busy and life would be easier if I didn't work I don't think it would be any better and I think I'm probably better for them because I've had that outlet. Excellent and, and, and in terms of your parenting questions challenges what would they be what would the things a lot, I mean, Coleman. We, <laughs> we tend to ask people around kind of one or two or three kind of things that and depending on the depth of discussion that we can get into on them but what would be the thing that would spring to mind I mean obviously yours are very small so it might be a current worry but it might be something prospective into the future that you might be worried about or so what are the parenting challenges for Karen Coster with her three fabulous children or six testosterone there's too much of it in this house so my guys are so physical. They play like puppies, you know? And when they were babies, it was it was really cute. And you'd see them kind of tumble over each other and it was all very sweet. But, you know, I know a lot of parents have said they all kids seem to have had a growth spurt over COVID and during the summer. And these guys are heavy, you know? They're, I don't know what they are. I'm sorry, maybe they're four stone or something. Like they're, they're well-built guys. And they are, because it's only just over a year between them, they're a match. So, you know, I know with other families I've asked going do you guys wrestle and do this roughhousing and do this play fighting and they're like well not really because Johnny knows that Danny's too young and you know he wouldn't where's my guys like it's like the UFC here every day after school it's ridiculous so I don't know what's what's acceptable because I said like I didn't have anyone like my sister never wrestled me and brother never did this so what is normal how much can you should you intervene I remember reading a bit of Steve Biddulph raising boys and he kind of said, like, that's kind of essential, really. And, and that is just part of the play. But for me, it always ends in tears. It always ends in finger pointing. Like, Finn has cuts in his face. I'm like, hang on a second. This is too much. I hate that type of play. I'm a girly girl. I don't like that physical play. So I don't engage with it. John will. Um, but he will even say, that's too rough. And even, like, Finn in his report cards, you know, lovely things said about him but say he plays too rough in the yard and we've told him he needs to work on it so like what do I do in terms of that like how much do you allow and how much do you need to go no it's too rough because I'm worried they're going to get into trouble for it basically in school but there's, this is always on a spectrum because you'll have kids who are very very meek and very fearful of physical contact and those children parents are very concerned about that they can't manage the rough and tumble of life 
The other end of the spectrum is where they don't really know where the limit is in terms of where to stop. I would say the most important thing to be mindful of is the spirit of the engagement. So if they're both engaging in play together and the almost like a consent issue that this is we're agreeing we're going to wrestle and we're going to do this and we're of a matching ability or whatever the case may be but there's no power imbalance and there's no intimidation and there's no real hostility and aggression now oftentimes what happens is those situations that start off that like that way boil into hostility in terms of someone hurts someone too much and then there's a reaction and what i'd be saying to them is that the, the physicality of play is normal and the, the spirit of what you're engaging in is normal. If two of you are messing or if you're, if you're, if the two of them were out practicing rugby tackling each other and they were both in agreement that this is what was going to happen, there would be nothing wrong with it. Whereas if it's battling, it starts off nice and then it battles into it. So what you've got to do is try and find out where does the spirit change from a game or horse play to aggression? And there's a point where that will cross. And it's almost like, they need to know that they can engage in the playfulness once it doesn't escalate to the aggression. That if that, that, that's the thing that you're intervening with, it's not a, a, an all or nothing where you can't play physically or you have to play separately. You have to learn how to play physically together. Now, the thing is, these kids are four and five. So their understanding of regulating their own emotion is non-existent. They don't have the capacity to regulate emotion. So they're not going to be in a situation where JJ is going to go, Finn, I think you're getting a little bit yeah. head up here at the moment. I'm afraid this might escalate into something. Do you want to take five? That's not going to happen. So as the adult in the room, you kind of have to be that voice for them. Do you know what I mean? In terms of say, and showing them where the line is that now you've crossed it. That's, that's acceptable. That's acceptable. That's kind of great. Okay, that's the problem. Now we, and once they know where the line is, then they have something to benchmark against. So then they know at what point I have crossed the line, if that makes sense. And there is a, there's a real difficulty in the parenting narrative out there that we should never raise our voice and we should always get down to their level and we should always yeah. speak in a robotic tone. I'm actually really worried about that because I don't believe that the child will ever know how we feel if we're muted all the time. So we have to show them a, a reaction. You know what I mean? If, if I, and I use this example, if you go in and, and Eve is you know, writing with a crayon on your newly painted wall uh, and you go over and say, sweetheart, you should really use paper and offer it to her. She's going to go, that's not a big deal. Whereas if you go, what are you doing? Like, it's not traumatic, but it's a point of you saying, this is a real big deal. Now, she doesn't know the big deal. She doesn't know why the wall is a no-go area. But you are communicating your level of response to her, which she needs to know. There came a day and JJ like hit me or something and I went to shout at him. And you know what I did? I did what I actually started to cry and I actually nearly fake cried because I was like, if he did that to a girl in the yard, that's what she's going to do. And I kind of feel that like I need to be the role model of how he treats girls. And I'll say that. And even when I see them with Eve, I'm like, if Eve doesn't like it or she says, no, you have to stop because I kind of feel like that issue of consent. Would like that, I was kind of like, they need to know if they've made me feel sad. Like, and I've, I've stopped filtering myself like that because I was very much like, never shout. You've already lost the battle. You've lost my shout. But like, they're emotional. I'm, I want them to see that I can be emotional too within reason. So I'm glad you actually said no. I, I just think the expectation kind of heaps parental guilt that if you believe you never to raise your voice when you do yeah. you feel you've traumatized your child i just don't think that helps anyone in this circumstance obviously we should all strive to be as calm as we can be and we're adults in the room 
But real life situations are that stress and, you know, when you're 20 minutes trying to get your kids out in the morning and they just won't find, put on their shoes, there's a point where they have to see that you are escalating in terms of your own frustration levels, etc. Obviously within reason. And, you, and, and again, I would say if we do, and if we do lose our cool and say something we shouldn't do, we just try and repair it. You know, go back and say, that was my issue there. I own that. That was my own stress. That was nothing to do with what you did. And I apologize for it. But it allows a kind of a reparation around emotionality. And it shows a range of emotion. But when you're trying to regulate emotion for children, what I'd say is most children don't reach the age of reason till about six or seven. So they don't really have a good inclination as to how their behavior impacts on others. So they can't really see the world through the eyes of the other until that age. So your boys still aren't there yet from the point of view of they, they know they get in trouble for doing that, but they don't really have an experience of what it feels like to be hurt in that way. Does that make sense? I think I might expect a bit too much of them in terms of maturity then, do I? Yeah, I mean, I, I would really use the really Anne and Barry level of, of communication around this time because... Uh, the worst thing you can ever try and do is negotiate or try to negotiate with a toddler. It is the most frustrating thing in the world because they don't get it and you are understanding they should get it. And much of what is effective in terms of parenting is pitching it at the developmental level that they understand. Oftentimes, I would have cases of parents saying, oh, my daughter uh, has been wetting the bed and she was trained before and now she's wetting and I've set in star charts and they don't work. And you'd say, well, what is the star chart? Well, if she stays dry for a week, I'll get her a magazine. And you're going, this child has never stayed dry for two nights in the trot for the last five years. A week is far too much. She would never be able to meet that. And people sending people to the naughty step for half an hour when they're three, like three, three minutes is a half an hour to a three-year-old. Do you know what I mean? From the point of view, it doesn't need to be on the scale of time that we, that makes sense to us as adults. It has to be through their world. So I would really break it down to the boys and really kind of in the most simplest of terms say this is acceptable and this is not. Do you know what I mean? And when someone gets hurt and cries, then we've clearly made the play into something different. And I, I'm okay with you playing, but I'm not okay with you fighting and trying to really kind of get them to see the difference between that. And that's, you know, that, that can be done through stories and you could tell stories about two children who are playing and how it escalates into something and ask them, how could they have stopped that happening? You know, at what point do you think John got really annoyed with David here because we were talking about it here, but it was okay until David hurt him. And when he got the pain, then he reacted. So how can you apply that to yourselves? And really using narratives and stories to describe, because that helps them to think about it in a once removed way, which isn't pointing the finger at, at them. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, but but it is about the point at which it trans the, the spirit of the play changes, and it's really about the spirit of the play. The play is fine; it's when it changes into something different. And the, just to know that that their other children in the playground may not have the same level of physicality that they do. So exactly. you know, you have to check with someone first if they're okay with you swinging them around. Do you know what I mean? Because some children really enjoy that and see that as fun, uh, but others don't. And it's really important. The other thing I'd say is the issue around boisterous boys might get in trouble down the line and get accused of kind of bullying or being picked on other children. right? And it's really important that from an early stage, you establish for a ch child what bullying is and isn't. Um, I was gonna, next question, because mm. Finn has said that he goes, 
I said, that was a bit rough. I saw what you did to little Johnny. And he's like, oh, that's because he's a bully. And I was like, hang on, Finn. That's a really mm. serious word. Yeah, I, I like that. I don't know if he grasps what mm. a bully is. And I don't want him throwing that word around. No, I think it is a word that's overused. And I think it, it is, um, I'd say to my own children, they call each other bullies. And you'd have to say, that's not bullying. Do you know what I mean? From the point of view, and, and a real difficult but important task for children to know the difference between is the difference between banter and bullying, right? Yeah. Because banter is going to be a part of life and they're boys they're going to get involved in banter and they're i'm guessing they probably might not have the sensitivity that i'm talking about but other children might think everyone is bullying them if they give them a nickname or if they call them something or if they ask them something whereas that's banter bullying is where you point out to somebody what you're doing to this other person hurts them please stop and they continue to do it so it's the intent to continue knowing that what you're doing is hurting the other person that's what we would describe the difference between banter and bullying is because banter could be happening all the time. You wouldn't be no, like I could be in banter with you and I could be really upsetting you. But if you've never told me that when I say that to you, it upsets you, then I don't, I'm none the wiser. And so I'm going to keep doing it. Whereas if you say, Coleman, when you call me that name, I really don't like it. Please stop. And I go, okay, just, I didn't know that. But if I kept calling you that name, that's bullying. Do you know what I mean? From the point of view of yeah. that. And so it is the level of intent that determines the act. And your lads, if they are just boisterous lads, they're going to assume everyone likes being flung around or swung around or jumping on their back. And it's really important from an early age to teach them to be mindful that not everyone is in that. And you have to ask if it's okay. Do you know what I mean? And it is goes back to that, the, the consent issue, because that will spare them a lot of grief in times to come if they were to continue being boisterous with everybody they meet. And they, they're going to assume everyone loves this because we love it which may not be the case. And it's great that they have a, a sister in there because if she's a little bit not into that, then they'll yeah. cotton on that actually we have to treat different, I have to treat Finn differently than I treat Eve because Eve doesn't like me swung around, whereas Finn does. And so that, that might help them to kind of better understand that they have to be different with different people. Very good. The other thing I come up across because of the close, because they're so close in age is constantly in competition with each other because they jj's big for his age so he can keep up with finn to a certain extent so they're equals i feel physically you know if they're racing with this but then when one overtakes the other they're just crestfallen so how much of that is healthy and how much i feel like i don't want to molly coddle them and be kind of like everyone's a winner and everyone gets a medal type but like how much is it level well, yeah you didn't practice football enough so that's why you didn't score as many goals as finn so how much do you kind of just let that play out? And how much do you kind of say, look, it's because he's a year older. How do I kind of, how do I navigate that? I think from the point of view, you introduce reality at a level that they can manage, right? So the, the pacing parenting is basically introducing your child to reality and responsibility at a pace that they can manage. So the older child may be able to take a little bit more of an honest critique than the younger one might. Do you know what I mean? From the point of view, yeah. they might be more able for it. But the issue being that because they're so close in age, this second lad might be at risk of thinking he's older, right? So he wants to do everything that his older brother does. So in some ways, what I mean, this can happen, I'm not suggesting to know anything about your own lads, but that second child might try and escalate their development to keep up, but they'll miss out on some of the emotional ones. They'll miss mm -hmm. out on some of the emotional steps. And because they're very close together, they might see themselves as the same. But there is time that Finn had that JJ didn't before he arrived. Do you know what I mean? And it's important that 
you'd be mindful that JJ doesn't miss out on that, that you don't see the two as the same because they're not. There's a there's a window there. And they they just this, that second child who's in that kind of who's coming soon afterwards just might need a little bit extra scaffolding and explanation around emotionality because they just want to be the same. So they're not going to say, I'm, I'm struggling with this. They just want to be up with their brothers. Do you know what I mean? And that competitive instinct is, is very good. It's very healthy, but it can make you miss a few steps. And that's what yeah. I'd, I'd worry about. The second thing is that how do you, you know, when, when somebody is better than somebody else at something, how do you yeah. acknowledge that in a way? I would say that comes later. I don't think four or five is the time to to stream people. Um, and I think and it's one of the things we've talked about in, the, in another episode about the importance of children's sport and how competition ruins sport for people. Do you know what I mean? That as soon as we introduce competition, the people who want to do it for fun no longer have a place there. It's very difficult for a teenager to partake in any sport in a casual way. It's all championships and medals and all that sort of stuff. And in actual fact, we shouldn't be introducing that as early as we do. Maybe the, the games and the, the measuring of currency around your goals scored more than mine should come later on. It should be just about task development and that early stages. Like the idea that we have like academies for under fives and all that sort of stuff, that's all new. Like when I played sport, the youngest age group was under 11. So I had played in the school for 11 years before I ever got into any sort of competition. And now we are introducing really kind of earlier graded stuff, which brings just, it brings the, the lens of competition into children's lives much earlier. But I would say to you, the one thing is really good to understand that for children, the world is very black and white. So it's very much, I'm taller than you, so I'm better than you. I'm faster yeah. than you, so I'm better than you. And it's very, their whole world is set up that way. So cops and robbers, Cowboys, yeah. Indians, goodies and baddies. So everything's really clear. And I know you're good and I know I'm bad. And my daddy is taller than your daddy. So my daddy would beat up your daddy. And it's all very logistical. But, but what's coming next is the gray where you actually go, oh, hang on a second. Maybe the world isn't as black and white as I want it to be. And that's where teenagers come into it, where you go, actually, he's really sound, but he's really mean as well. How can you be sound and mean and be the same person? I'm struggling with this concept. And that's where that kind of frustration of, of identity comes in because they're starting to realize they're good and bad but at the moment they're just all good or all bad and that's why they'll have this kind of immense kind of self-esteem about you know how brilliant they are and how amazing they are but then they'll say i hate my life and i'm so bad they'll go it crushed you know they could be one two three eight eight nine ten and what i'd say to all parents is your goal here is four to seven that's where you want these boys to be when you see them one two three and eight nine ten it's about pulling them back into four to seven as much as possible. So if they... What does that mean? So say, for example, they're having a match or they're having a fight and uh, JJ wins and Finn loses. So JJ is dancing around, shirt over his head. <laughs> la, 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 la. And the, uh, the other lad is curled up in the corner saying, I'm never playing sport again because I'm rubbish, right? Those yes. two reactions are eight, nine, ten. And one, two, three. The gracious winner is not really taking that very well. So you might say, I would tone down my celebrations. Can you see your brother is not very happy at the moment? Maybe that's not helping him a little bit. So you're up at a nine. Let's bring you down to a seven. Be glad of your achievement, but be have some humility to this. And then saying, okay, you didn't win that match, but that doesn't mean you should never play football again. Your reaction is one. It should be four. Let's bring you back up to how can you get ready for the next match and be ready to do a bit differently. And what did you do well? And so you're trying to bring 
the children back into that four to seven model. Does that make sense? Yeah. And, and kind of rating people out of 10 and kind of saying, okay, she's gone nine. Like this is, I need to get on top of that. So the whole skill set is trying to emotionally regulate. But, and here's your challenge because you boys, language is really important to be able to communicate, mom, I am frustrated. I am angry. I am sad. Boys, where language fails, behavior takes over. So if they can't communicate to true words, you will get the tantrum. You will get the broken thing or the throwing things or whatever it might be. And so you have to give them the words to be able to explain how they feel to you. Does that make sense? So, yeah. and, and, and we tend to, with boys, just let them off, you know, and say, well, they're just, they'll find their own way. But in actual fact, boys need to be kind of read to. They need to be kind of talked through. And if you're watching something with them saying, I wonder how she feels now that her friend didn't talk to her. I wonder. How, so you're trying to give them an emotional language because that will really help them to come to you and say, ma'am, I'm really annoyed or I'm really frustrated or I feel really lonely or I feel really angry or I feel really sad because children at that age need to be visible. So they need you to see them. And oftentimes the only visibility they can achieve is through misbehavior. So what I would say to you, and this would be a tip that I would give is catch them being good. So yeah. if they're in the if they're in the room and they're playing something together peacefully, that's not the time for you to say, great, I'll get some peace here. That's the time to go in with the treats and say, lads, brilliant. Loving this. This is what uh, being together means. And not only catching them being bad. Do you know what I mean? So it's mm -hmm. almost like because that our temptation is to go leave well enough alone. They're not round. Let's say nothing. Let's creep around and wait for the, the thing to happen. But that's the time you go in and sit down with them and on the floor and say, this is it. This is what we're talking about. How can we keep us playing together in this way rather than just telling them off every time they fight? Because it will just become about nagging. And yeah. I'd ask you one question. Have you ever seen a situation where somebody comes in and gives out to somebody or two people and they actually go, "Mom, you're right. <laughs> this, this has changed our perspective on uh everything. Hug it out here, brother. You know, it doesn't work. You know what I mean? When we go in roaring and shouting, it just doesn't work. It, it, the idea here is incentivize the good behavior. Catch them being good. Catch them relating in a way that you want them to relate. And if they play together and it doesn't end up in a fight in a row, moan sweets, one each. There you go, lads. Brilliant. You know, that's what I want. I want to see more of this. So catch the visibility when they're actually doing what you want them to do and minimize the visibility by just giving out to them when they're doing something that they shouldn't. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And how much independence should I be kind of encouraging? Because what I end up giving out about a lot of the time is they'll just make a mess and they're not picking up stuff. And it's like, no, you need to put that away. You need to put that away. And like many parents, I end up just doing myself because it's quicker, like at their age, should they have little chores? Should they be like putting their plates in the sink or, or what's, what's a reasonable expectation? Putting your plate in the sink, yes. You know, stripping your bed and putting a new duvet on, probably not. Do you know what I mean? My husband doesn't do that. Oh, <laughs> he's 40, whatever. 48. <laughs> I, I think he might be a lost cause at this point, but um, <laughs> only small people here. But um, I think from the point of view of the tasks have to be tokenistic. They're about... Yeah. Okay, fair They're enough. about the notion of teamwork, do you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's about the effort, not the outcome, right? Okay. So you might say, right, who's on sweeping duty today, right? So there might be a rule that, this is a, it's a tip for people, 
children eat sometimes like animals. So the food goes everywhere. And when they get up off the table, you think, what has happened here? There's loads of stuff. So if you have three kids, you say, right, the messiest spot, it has to sweep. So whoever has the mess, biggest mess underneath them is the one that has to sweep, right? And so when you do that, when they're sweeping, even if they don't do it right, but they're giving yeah. it a go, you just go, thanks for that. And then when they leave, you can do it yourself and, and do it yeah. properly. But we're not uh, focusing enough on effort. We're focusing far too much on outcome. And okay. children need to be valued for their effort, not their but outcome. that about homework then as well, because now that I have two little guys doing homeworks, or homework, I basically have given myself a time limit and said, whatever we get done in 20 minutes, we get done. Because other than that, I'm badgering them to write the word, like the word dog, and it's killing me and it's sucking the joy out of the afternoon. So uh, like that, uh, the effort rather than the actual outcome of what the word looks like or, you know, how yeah. by doing it. I, I'm on record as being not a fan of homework at all uh, in primary school um, from the point of view of, and the return after lockdown when we had that month of homework free it was such a difference to, to see how engaged they were when they came home and just playing anyway that's my rant over but from the point of view of yes absolutely but it's about what they do in the half an hour rather than a half an hour just so so if you say we're only going to do a half an hour and Finn is desperately trying to working endeavorously and JJ's swinging on the chair and, you know, in and out of the bathroom and hasn't put a page open. He's just trying to kill time till the half hour goes. Then you've got someone who's milking the system. I can say that. Okay. But what, yeah. what you're trying to do is, is make reward their effort and say, I'm going to look at how hard you are because task-based homework is ridiculous. If I'm learning 10 spellings for tomorrow, and I'm really clever and I know these already and I've absorbed them in this class. It'll take me two minutes and I'll bang them out. If I have dyslexia and I'm trying mm. to learn those 10 spellings, it could take me two and a half hours. Do you know what mm. I mean? So, and that's just not fair. So I think we have to tailor the workload according to the ability of the child, but also what they need to do. There should never, the homework shouldn't be a point at where it's costing more to their self-worth than it's adding. And that's oftentimes what it does. And it's largely down to our own time pressures. And we're so in a rush to get it done that we lose our cool earlier. But what I'd say to the lads is, you know, we're going to set out 30 minutes and how well you use the 30 minutes and how you know focused you are within that 30 minutes, we'll call it a day. But if you're not focusing, I'm pushing it up to 40. Like almost when you leave the table, you stop the clock. Does that make sense? Like um, almost like a... Yeah, a, a yeah, yeah. <laughs> Like a rugby match where they kind of, they, when the ball goes out of play, you're not, the timer's off. Uh, uh, because yeah. I just think you run into the risk of them kind of milking that system and going, we only have to sit here for half an hour. I'm going to yeah. find the yeah. best yeah. way to DOS for this half hour and mom won't make me sit past it, you know? So again, effort is not about time. Effort is about endeavor. Does that make right. sense? Yeah, brilliant. Yeah. So trying to focus those. Come here, listen, we're probably just run out of time here on this one, but is there anything else that you'd, uh, you'd thought about in terms of asking or... No, can I just that, keep is, is there... on the detail? <laughs> <laughs> and just call him bedtime when the tantrums are kicking off and I'm like, what's that? <laughs> no, like, it just, just changes all the time. Like, I used to think the baby days were hard and the nights were hard, and then you just move into a next phase and you go, oh, this is just a whole new challenge in a whole new way. So it's I'm always learning, you know, which is... Mm exciting and also frustrating because you just think you've nailed it and then they do something else and they're so unpredictable like i'll be like oh finn would never cross the road without checking for traffic and then he just bolts in front mm. of you know near miss so i think that's what i find really hard that i go oh no i know what he's like but i just don't and, and like you say like that age of reason thing i think is so interesting i think i probably expect too much from them and they're still so little 
But in my eyes, because probably I have a, a two-year-old, I see her as the baby. So maybe, you know, my judgment is off, you know. But no, I think that's really, and I, you made me feel like everything's normal, which is a good thing, you know. Yeah. And I think you have to remember your eldest is still very young. You know, mm -hmm. even though he's the oldest, he's still young. Yeah. But I, I would say to you one thing, Karen, there's no one way to parent. And anyone who's trying to peddle that snake oil is nonsense because every child is different. The way in which you have yeah. to manage them is different. And how you will manage Finn, JJ and Eve may be very different ways, but they it's just about doing what's effective. And the skill of parenting is being flexible, about being firm with one, support of another. Some will need eggshell approach, some will need a nudge someone to lead an arm around the shoulder but if you're better able to understand what they're feeling and how they're experiencing it you'll know what they need rather than what they deserve does that make sense yeah and so in that situation i think if you have to be different with all three there's nothing wrong with that that's good parenting it's not the idea we've, we've kind of fallen into this law of favoritism which is utter nonsense because you do, a child who's doing a leave insert might need very diff different levels of coaxing and and scaffolding and support than another child but the tables will always turn and they will always need it at different times so it's not about equality or equity it's about being able to to give them what they need when they need it that makes sense yeah that's brilliant that's so, really nice la last question i have for you right. uh -oh. okay you're later in life you're sitting there you're reading the irish times you're listening to the radio your children are all grown up what would you like them to be? What, what, what would be enough? What would, not in terms of titles or anything, but what would, what would you say, I, I did okay? Well, isn't it like that famous John Lennon quote when his teacher asked him, what do you want to be when you grow up? And he said, happy. And she said, you didn't understand the question or something. And he goes, no, you didn't understand the question or something. I think I would like them to just have fond memories of their childhood. I love them to think that we tried our best, that we were still good fun, that like whatever happened, it was fun and that we were fair and that none of them are like in prison <laughs> or broke um, or struggling. Just well-rounded. I don't care what they do once it's make them happy and they're not hurting anyone and they um, love each other and yeah, I want them to stick together. Like, as I said, they're the three amigos and I want them to stay that way. And, you know, I think it's it's one of the greatest things you can do for your kid is to give them a sibling. Not that it's everyone's choice, but, you know, I, I definitely see the benefit of it in my family. And yeah, and then just to leave mommy and daddy alone to drink wine. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm hearing fun. I'm hearing a sense of community and connection and a sense of selective independence to allow... <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Well, I, I would say to you, Karen, and I'll, I'll end on this, hold on to the fun bit. It is so important that we don't lose that sense of the fun of parenting because when it when you have three teenagers who are going to be 16, 14, and 13 at the same time, hold on to the fun because they will appreciate it. You know, and, and it's too easy to let that go, that drift. If you remember anything from this podcast in 10 years' time, just hold on to the fun. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, and never retire because I'll be. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be around for a while yet. You have my number now. <laughs> I have your number saved. That's why I said. <laughs> Karen Coster, thanks so much for the wonderful chat this morning. That was absolutely fabulous, and we'll see you all for the next episode. Thanks for now. Bye bye. So, if you want to send a question to me, you can email askingforaparent at gmail.com. You can direct message me on Twitter 
on at asking for a parent, asking number four a parent, or through the asking for a parent webpage. If you want to subscribe to the podcast, please do. You'll get all the updates on the latest episodes. And if there are aspects of the series that you feel will be beneficial to someone you know, please feel free to share the podcast as much as you wish.